season of Advent, we're going through on Sunday morning the first chapter of Luke's Gospel. And today we look at the second paragraph or grouping of stories in Luke chapter 1. This one begins at verse 26 and it goes through verse 38. So uh, you can follow along on your phone or a tablet or in the book, or you can follow along with the words up on the screen. And I invite you to join with me by standing either in your heart or physically before God as we hear these words from the book that we love. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. God's very word. Thanks be to God. And you may be seated. A couple of decades ago, uh, we took a call to a church in northern Minnesota. And we were told that when we were going to go there, that that part of Minnesota had two seasons of the year, winter and 4th of July. So we decided if we were going to endure, we needed to take up a winter sport. First I thought, dog sledding. But then that would include dogs. <laughs> so we took up cross-country skiing. We thought, we we're going to give this a try. This is going to be our winter sport. So we had basically just arrived there, and this couple from church invited us away for a couple days to do some cross-country skiing. Well, we had one week to practice, having never gone before. We were beside a golf course, so we practiced there and how to try to get the rhythm, and golf courses, for the most part, are flat. So they took us to a state park uh, farther north than what we were. And uh, surprisingly, 
they took us, first thing, to, oh, wrong way, to one of the smaller hills there at the state park. It was the first hill we had, and this hill had, as you can kind of see there, a curve in it. So they told us the first thing to do is you're going to go down, and once you make the curve and everything's fine, then you shout up to the person behind you, and then they go down. So you can't actually see the person when they turn the curve. So Mark went down first, and he made the curve, and he shouted back, and so Terry went down, and she made the curve, and she shouted back, and then Renee went down. And she went down straight, around the curve, and I heard a shout. So I thought, all's clear, time for me to go. And so I went, and lo and behold, wouldn't you know that when I got to about the curve, Renee had fallen down in the middle of the path, and she was laughing so hard she couldn't get herself up. And I had never tried to stop before on cross-country skis, and so I'm going down this hill, and I'm, okay, so Renee's in front of me, there is a tree to my right, and there is a bush to my left. I chose the bush. And I went in there at a fairly good rate of speed because I don't know how to stop these crazy skis. And, and so my skis got stuck in the bush and I couldn't pull the skis out. And I couldn't undo the latches to get my boot unhooked from the ski. And so we were just laughing and, and having a, a, a funny time, but yet we were getting cold because we weren't skiing or anything, and it was only below zero or whatever. And, and so we were laughing. It took about 10 minutes for us to finally get our bearings and finally make our way down. Well, partly through these two days, we got rather upset at this couple for putting us in such a predicament, having never gone cross-country skiing before and putting us on such a, a, a atrocious path and paths were more like this up and down and up and down and fishbone i never knew what fishboning was till we got to our first hill that we had to go up <sighs> felt inadequate unprepared unskilled unknowledgeable ever been there is something else in your life don't feel up to the challenge and why would anyone ever want to approach you about doing something like this? And why, why would God ever want to approach you about doing something like that? And usually when we feel that way, he has us where he wants us. Luke's story is God moving toward his goal to bring salvation to all nations through his Messiah. He uses people who, by our standards, would be untried, unready for such a step of faith. Our judgment, though, never matches God's judgment, who loves to use inadequate, untried, unskilled, but yet submissive and obedient to him. And that's what God calls us to, and that's what we see in this story to be obedient and submissive to his will, for God will work out his plan. Even when we don't see it, even when we don't feel it, God is working. So the question as we make our way through this passage is, what might be God asking your heart to be doing? And then what would your response be? So let's look at this story.
Nazareth was a place of about a thousand people, the commentators say, not a place of 60,000 as it is today. So I don't know what you want to compare it to. Is that the size of Dutton or something like that? I mean, just a, a little burg, about a thousand people. Nazareth was on the, what's called the Via Maris, which was the trail that connected the east to the west, the main trading route of the ancient world. And so if we look at this map here that looks at the Via Maris, right there on the way in the yellow dot is Nazareth. It would have been a stop that people would have made as they left the Sea of Galilee and were making their way to the south to Egypt or making their way north to Assyria for the things that they would be trading for. And the people who were probably on the trade route were not the people of the caliber of the Jewish people of Nazareth with their kind of faith and their kind of morals. And so I never read this anywhere, but it seemed like, was Nazareth kind of like a truck stop? Kind of where people stopped on the way, you know, as they were going? Because there wasn't too much more between the Sea of Galilee and when they would get to... Uh, the area by the coast. And if that is true, I don't know, I'm just wondering, but if, it's, if that's true, could it be why people say, can anything good come out of Nazareth, that little city? Well, it's a city that we don't find in the Old Testament, but uh, the literal, literal meaning of the city is that of Branchville. Netzer is the word that means branch, and Nazareth basically is Branchville. Where else would you expect to find the branch of David, except in Branchville? Just like where else would you expect the Son of God to come out of the oven, except in Bethlehem, the city of bread? And so Gabriel comes here to this out-of-the-way burg. Why not to Jerusalem? Why not to the temple? Why to Nazareth? It's because God works in ways that surprise us. He's not, he does not conform to popular opinion. He comes to this simple, small, humble dwelling that points to the humbleness in the submissive heart that God is looking for. And the angel Gabriel is sent to Mary, who is also a descendant of David. Uh, at best guess, she is between 13 and 15, which historians note was the time that Jewish girls got engaged, so there'd be no reason to expect she would be any different somewhere between 13 and 15. And most of us know that uh, courtship wasn't a big thing. Uh, marriage partners were assigned. It was a contract done between the fathers. But that being said, it was noted that Mary was a virgin, and she was faithful to the ways of God in her life. Throughout the Bible, God contacts a person to play a special role in what we call salvation history. People like Abram, scoundrels like Jacob, shepherds like David, and now Mary. 
And again, they are not people that we might be likely to pick on the first round of a draft. But God invites them, as he reveals his plan, to join him in what he is doing. And so God invites us to join him in his plans too, though in a different way. When he invites us, he upsets our schedules. He requires that we realign our lives to fall in line with his plans. So what will our answer be when God calls us to join him? Well, in the fullness of time, Gabriel comes with a message to Mary. Here we have greetings, is how it's translated here. A better word, I believe, to be translated is rejoice. Rejoice, you who are highly favored. I don't know why they went with greetings, because it clearly has a root word of joy in it. Rejoice, for God is with you. God is with you is an Old Testament phrase that God would use or prophets would use as God's voice when God would speak to someone, reminding Mary, okay, this is the God of history. This is the God of my people. Mary is troubled, which is the response that most people have when angels come to visit them. Remember that angels were not the bumbler Charlie in It's a Wonderful Life. Angels stand before God. Angels do the bidding of God. And Gabriel, who was taught in message delivery class 101, says, do not be afraid and fear not. And so he reveals the mysterious and the miraculous working of God to Mary. You will have a child, and you will give him the name Yeshua, God's deliverer. And he will do what his name says. He will deliver his people. He will be acknowledged as the son of God at his birth, at his dedication, at his baptism, in his life, at his death, and at his resurrection. He will have David's throne. He will rule forever. And so Mary, soon become an unwed, pregnant teenager, who has no idea how his family, how her family will respond, how her friends will respond, how her community will respond to her. Yeah, she says she's carrying the Messiah. She says it's a miracle, but her reputation would be shot. What will her fiancé do? Will he divorce her? Could she even be stoned to death? Our word for this is overwhelmed. What would you do feeling overwhelmed? Mary asked a question to try to understand. How will this happen since I am a virgin? You see, unlike other women in the Bible, Mary has not prayed for a baby. God worked through Sarah, Hannah, Elizabeth, but Mary's story is different. Gabriel's announcement is not an answer to Mary's prayers, because this is not about Mary. 
God's assistance in pregnancy matters up to this time was to solve a problem. Whose problem is this? It's our problem. God worked through Mary to solve our problem. Our problem with sin. We are the ones in trouble. We're the ones who are naturally alienated from God. And Mary's child will bring change to the world because he will deal with our biggest problem, sin. Luke 1 is about God meeting our problem of sin. And we can tend to think that uh, Christmas is about being nicer than usual, about digging a little deeper in our pockets for charity, about generally getting along with people we might not naturally get along with. Christmas pretty much is about our agenda and the things that we want to do to feel good and to help others that we love feel good. But as much as I love George Bailey uh, and the feel good that he gets from his town, or the story of Scrooge becoming a new man, or the Grinch growing a larger heart. These feel-good stories of Christmas. Christmas is a story about how God solved our trouble by sending Jesus. Well, how is he going to do this? Well, Jesus is able to do this because he was born free from the stain of sin. It says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. The mystery is not only how Mary as a virgin will become pregnant to have a son, but that he would be born sinless, free from the stain of sin. God in flesh meat and bones, just like us, but without sin. And so he came to die, to be unrecognizable after his beatings, and then to endure the very wrath of God on the cross, being a curse for us as he voluntarily hung there. And then being raised on the third day so that anyone who would come, regardless of their background, regardless of what they had done, and puts their faith and trust in him, would find this new life that Jesus came to bring. Because he would be pure, to be the spotless lamb offered for us. And then Gabriel offers Elizabeth this evidence as proof that her words are true. Your senior citizen cousin, Elizabeth, is six months pregnant. The one that people said is too old to conceive. Well, the proof that God's word is sure is that God gave to her this promise. And she conceived. And then Gabriel sums up the mysterious and the miraculous way of God with these words. For nothing is impossible with God. God can do anything. 
God can do everything. And yet we sweat it out. And though we might not feel in control of our situation, God surely is in control of it and of our lives. And so the story goes on. And what makes this story in the Bible different from almost all other stories is that uh, in this story, Mary gets the last word. And she says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me according to your word. I wondered if the rest of the angels in heaven were holding their breath, waiting to see what Mary's response would be. But she shows her heart of submission, going along with God's plan. What is it that God is saying to you that intersects with your journey? Maybe what you thought your plan is, but seeing more of what his plan is. Could he be asking you to do something? You know, over, well over 95% of God's will for our life is found in his word, is found in the book. Maybe it's just doing what he says we should do as we read it. But maybe it is a new task, a new change, a new life something that might make you feel a bit overwhelmed. The Bible often calls this a mystery. For God doesn't tell us the reasons why all the time or the real outcomes that are going to be because it forces us to rely on him, to depend on him, and to submit ourselves time and again to him. God always invites us to a journey that's bigger than us and more challenging than what, what we could ever imagine. For me, it's sort of like going down that hill and not really sure what's going to be around the corner. At first, it might seem unnatural. Your instincts tell you not to try, but yet you hear that gentle voice of the Holy Spirit whisper, trust him. Trust him. And what you don't understand is okay. He does. And he's in control. And when Mary understood this, she trusted and responded with submission. This is a story that God has come and God is working his plan in order to bring true joy to his people. That's why I believe an emphasis needs to be on Gabriel's first words to Mary. Rejoice! This is good news. Even though Mary feels overwhelmed, the, the joy will come, though maybe not at that moment. It'll certainly come when she visits Elizabeth and we look at that story next Sunday morning. Her life will be difficult. Her life will be misunderstood. But she will also have a life of joy. Uh, C.S. Lewis, that author that Christian Reformed pastors love to quote, 
says that joy is the business of heaven. We don't always think about God doing his will and his work in order to bring us joy, but he does. Joy is the business of heaven. And it made me ponder uh, this verse here of the, of the apostle. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. When the apostle penned these words, he was not trying to paste one of those yellow smiley face stickers on the harsh realities of life. He knew, as well as anyone, the pains they can find in this world. This is not a shallow phrase. And that's why we find in verse 18, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Joy comes in mysterious ways. Joy comes in unexpected ways. And it comes when we submit ourselves to him, no matter how hard the task. Christian author Frederick Buechner writes that happiness pops up pretty much where you would expect happiness to pop up. Graduations, weddings, award ceremonies, births. But joy is unpredictable. Joy can and often pops up at these happy occasions. But joy also raises its head at funerals, in the hospital, times of national tragedies. Because joy emerges when we come to the realization that often sin and terrible events loom large. They cannot and do not erase the fundamental goodness of God, that he is with us. It might not come when you sit across from the doctor, but as the book says, but joy comes in the morning. It comes. It comes. Back to our cross-country skiing. We ended up loving it. And we probably cross-country skied for a couple of decades until we got a little too old and feared a little too much about uh, brittle bones, but uh, we ended up loving it. I don't know what that first episode, how that had to play in it, but uh, joy did come. A child was born in Bethlehem born to impoverished couple, a young couple, who had hearts that were submissive to God, no matter what God had planned. God chose Mary and Joseph. We might say people who were in the hollers of the appellation, because God uses the lowly of this world. So as we look into our week ahead, as we look into the year ahead, 
we may feel inadequate, unprepared, unskilled, unknowledgeable about the whole bit and wonder why would God ever ask someone like me to do something like this? Well, when we feel like we don't measure up to the challenge, God has us where he wants us because we tend to trust in him more. He's looking for the humble, the obedient, and the submissive people to join with him in his great big plan to bring the good news of new life to this world. I invite you to join with me in prayer. Father God, how we bless you and we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you for the love that sent your son. We thank you for how you worked in people so that even at a young age they knew to respond to you in submission and obedience. And we bless you for using a, a young girl named Mary whose obedience helped to uh, bring change to this world and giving birth to your son. We pray, Father God, that you will be uh, at work in us, that we, too, would trust you in your great big picture of what you are striving to do, and in the little pictures of the little circles and the little networks that we have in doing and how you want to use us in them. We pray you will give us the strength and the courage to do that. And Father God, we lift up the needs of your people. We uh, continue to lift up Ralph and wherever the journey is for his housing, we pray, your Lord, that you will provide and bring caring for him. We join with uh, Sharon in praying for her mom as she continues to recover from the fall and the surgery, and we pray you will bring healing and and thank you for the joy that she's experienced again for marlene and calvin we lift them up and pray lord that you will uh, continue to provide for their healing and at this time of year when students are facing final projects and exams we pray for your blessing and care on our students and upon our teachers we rejoice and opportunities of graduation, times that bring happiness and joy, and we rejoice with the Barozics of uh, Sydney getting her pinning ceremony as a nurse, and we pray that you will bless her and her work. We pray for those who are, are in need of extra grace and mercy, for Pam, David, and Joe. We also pray for Genevieve and Annalise, that you will protect them, comfort them with the babies that they carry, and bring an ultimate safe and good delivery when that time comes. We thank you, Father God, for your goodness to us, and uh, we lift up these needs and the needs of our heart to you. We lift them up. We thank you that you hear and you respond. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, and everyone agreed and said, Amen. Amen.